Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022 with a total of $1.2 million in prizes across Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. The wait is over. Tron Grand Hackathon presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Hi ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host Tim Copeland, filling in for Frank Chaparro for part three of a three-part special series on the Ethereum Merge. Joining us today on The Scoop Ethereum Merge Edition is my co-host Larry Sermak, VP of Research at The Block. And joining today on the show is our guest Steve Newcomb, Chief Product Officer at Matter Labs. Steve, thanks for joining the show. Glad to be here, really excited. So obviously Matter Labs is the key company behind ZK Sync. Can you walk us through what ZK Sync is and kind of what it offers on Ethereum? Yeah. So when it comes to Ethereum, Ethereum has decentralization and security done very, very well. And the last uh, link that sort of connects the circuit and enables Ethereum to really reach mass adoption is scaling. We've all known that for quite a while there has been very, very low transactions per second. It's at sitting at 15 transactions per second. And when you think of mass adoption, you think of what types of transactions per second is needed to really unlock the types of use cases that would attract basically everybody on Earth. And so when thinking of something like Visa or American Express or MasterCard, that would be a good example that's a litmus test. How fast do you need to be before you could potentially replace the underlying protocol that powers Visa with a blockchain? So consider this, that Visa on a normal day needs about 2,000 to, 4, 2, to 4,500 transactions per second to power it. And when it gets into Christmas, it needs around 65,000 transactions per second uh, for peak load. We're sitting at 15 transactions per second on average with Ethereum today. And what makes ZK Sync, the protocol, so important is that it's a layer two that sits on top 
of Ethereum. And it enables Ethereum to get up into that 100,000 transactions per second, million transactions per second. So once Ethereum can scale and truly scale, it's kind of like coming out of Plato's cave and seeing the rest of the world and seeing these use cases we could have never even predicted. And it is scaling that will unlock mass adoption for Ethereum. And right now there's broad consensus that a method called zero knowledge is the method to scale Ethereum securely. And we have been waiting many, many years for this technology to come to the table and launch and, and go into production. And it's, it's an amazing time because right on the heels of moving from proof of work to proof of stake, 32 days from now, this technology called zero knowledge rollups or ZK rollups is going to launch. And there's an amazing amount of light being shown on ZK Sync because we are that layer two technology and that has been talked about so much as talked about by Vitalik Buterin, who says ZK rollups are the end game of scaling. And, and we were talking earlier about how just how tired I am because we are 32 days away from launching many, many, many years of work. And we will finally be able to see scaling occur so that there's thousands and thousands of transactions per second, ultimately, and that the, the fees for using uh, Ethereum can go down and down and down to the point where the number of use cases, the number of apps coming on board, and the number of users coming on board can finally reach mass adoption. So that's really the, the thing that makes ZK Sync important and why your audience uh, should start paying attention to the launch of this is because it, it really is what makes Ethereum scale. Maybe before diving in even deeper, can you just for our listeners explain some of the high level differences between the ZK rollups, which you guys are obviously building, and then optimistic rollups like Optimism Arbitrum, which are already live in production now? Yeah. So there's a number of different approaches, I would say, to scaling Ethereum. And there's sort of a magical ingredient list of, of the perfect scaling solution that we're all kind of after. And the list goes something like this. Uh, number one, I think there's broad consensus that between a method called optimistic rollups and a method called ZK rollups, there is now broad consensus that ZK rollups is going to be the end game for scaling. But within the ZK rollups, there's also many companies and many projects that have different ways of doing ZK rollups. So the magic ingredient list is, number one, it has to be a general purpose ZK rollup. There are many, many small projects doing special purpose ZK rollups. But what's really needed is general purpose so that we can support any type of use case possible. So that's thing one. Uh, and that took years and years and years to get to the point where it was even theoretically possible. Number two, it has to be compatible with what's called EVM. Uh, so EVM compatibility is the Ethereum virtual machine. And why that's important is when an app is connected to an existing older blockchain or older protocol or Ethereum itself, and they want to switch to ZK Sync in order to get scaling and lower fees, that switching is called porting. 
And when you port, you want it to be really, really easy. And if you're EVM compatible, it can take as little as seven minutes. If you're not EVM compatible, it can take as long as seven months. And so uh, in the modern era for scaling solutions, it's one of the requirements to be EVM compatible. A third requirement is that it works with a language called Solidity. I think a lot of us have heard languages like C++ or Java or JavaScript. Think of Solidity as kind of the primary and most common language in crypto. It's what people use to build their smart contracts and their apps. So for a layer two solution to work with scaling, it needs to work with those common languages and then all the tool sets that developers use today. It doesn't work if you require a developer to learn a custom language or tool sets that they are not familiar with. So in order for developers to adopt it, it needs to be in support of Solidity. A fourth point is that it must truly be open source. Uh, in the Ethereum community, it is basically common practice and expected that the source code for the project that you're working on is open source. And that's because it protects three basic freedoms that are necessary in the ecosystem. One is the freedom to view the code to make sure it's accurate and it's doing what it says it's doing. Number two, the freedom to change the code. So if there's a bug in it, the community can participate and help fixing that bug. And number three, the freedom to what's called fork the code. And that's when you take the code and go your own way with the code and go in a different direction from the core project. All three of these are necessary in our community to basically make sure that every company in the ecosystem is going in the right direction that benefits the ecosystem in, in, in the most possible positive way. And the last point is decentralization. Decentralization involves both the technology and the organization itself. From the point of the technology, the reason why decentralization is important is because it's important for security. Ethereum is the most decentralized blockchain out there, and that is why it has such great security. And so when you have a layer two sitting on top, we too must also be decentralized in order to make sure that we are secure. Secondly, you have to be decentralized from an organizational standpoint and economic standpoint in a way that the ecosystem has found consensus around. And so this generally revolves around your tokenomics of your model or how you charge for gas fees. Uh, for example, a layer two should be scaling Ethereum, therefore it should charge its fees in ETH. So if you have a layer two that does not charge uh, its gas fees in ETH, but in its own token, it's kind of seen as benefiting itself rather than the Ethereum ecosystem, and that's not good. Further, uh, the tokenomics model, there's been many attempts of how to do tokens and how to structure them. But as we mature in the industry, we learn lessons. And one of the lessons that we've learned is that the split between insiders and public, when you have your token generation event, it's generally seen right now that the correct split, the right way to do the split is around one third for insiders, two thirds for your public. And so if you have a tokenomics model that does a 50-50 split, that's really seen as not the appropriate model and that's really more benefiting yourself than the ecosystem. 
So these five ingredients, having a generalized ZK rollup, being EVM compatible, working with Solidity, being truly open sourced, and being uh, correctly decentralized and having good tokenomics, these are the key ingredients of what makes a good uh, ZK rollup a ZK rollup. So um, in the field of projects that have different ways of doing ZK rollups, the different projects either do or do not match these five criteria very well. So for example, there is basically Starkware, Matter Labs, a company called, or a project called Scroll, and Polygon. These are the four big ZK rollup projects that are out there. Take Starkware, for example. Uh, Starkware kind of uh, misses the mark on three out of the five of these magic ingredients. While it is a generalized ZK rollup, it is not really EVM compatible. It does not work with Solidity. It is not truly open source. And it actually only goes part of the way into making the decentralized pieces of this, which is its tokenomics model gives 50% to insiders, and it intends to charge gas fees based on its own token and not Ethereum. So when I say it's not EVM compatible, I want to go back to that a little bit, and not supporting Solidity. What I really mean is that uh, in Starkware, they require you to use a custom language. It's called Cairo, but the important thing to think of is that when you're asking a, a developer to basically bet their career on a language that only one company uses, then you're going to make that developer very, very uncomfortable. It's a lot of career risk for that developer to do that. So when you, when you miss the mark on these things, you have very, very difficult headwinds for developer adoption. And in fact, at Starkware, we've seen that friction come to the table in very, very real forms. Their, their largest project that was on their protocol has now left them as a result of not meeting these requirements. And that, that project is called DYDX. And uh, I, I imagine many of your listeners have heard about that departure. And I would expect to see that there are other projects also uh, porting to other protocols as well. Then there is the method that uh, Polygon uses, and there's the method that Scroll uses, and the method that Matter Labs uses. Um, I would say that Polygon, Scrolls, and Matters come very, very close to meeting all five of these criteria. Uh, so we certainly meet all five of the criteria. Scroll does too. Polygon, uh, it's not clear what their open source strategy is, but we're all hoping it's, it's going to uh, protect all three freedoms once they announce uh, and they go into production. The real difference between Scroll, Polygon, and Matter is that we are 32 days away from launching into production, and both Scroll and Polygon have not entered what's called testnet yet. So typically, when you go on testnet, what you're doing is getting all the bugs out of your system. You are adding uh, feature sets to your protocol and testing them and making sure they're secure. And then you also go through what's called a security audit. And as you know, getting hacked is, is basically a huge problem in the crypto industry. And in order for us to trust a protocol, we're getting smarter and smarter about how to do security audits before we launch and go into production. So for example, at Matter, we are doing two multi-million dollar security audits across six different vectors prior to launch. And just like we're getting consensus in other areas as we mature, there's now broader and broader consensus of all the activities 
that any given company should do while in testnet before they go into mainnet. And so we have the most experience in launching ZK rollups. We've gone through this several times. And for us, it takes about nine months to go through that process properly and safely on a testnet. And then once you go to mainnet, you go alpha, sometimes you go to beta, and then you go into full production, which in many cases takes yet another nine months. So while we are going into production in 32 days, what makes us different than Polygon and Scroll is neither of those two projects and their approaches to ZK rollups, neither of them have even entered testnet yet. So by the time they are launching their first version of their ZK rollup, we will be likely launching our third version of our ZK rollup. Is that a good summary? Cool. Yeah, that, that was very comprehensive. You made a, quite a few comments about Starkware and Starknet. In terms of their use of, of Cairo, like, are there any advantages to not using an EVM? Because, I mean, what, you know, what, why do you think they went in that direction? Yeah, so in history, it is very common that in order to move faster, you just create your own language uh, so that you can have more feature sets earlier. Using existing languages, the languages that all developers currently use, is a tougher path to take, um, and it takes longer than to get to production if you're complying with standards. So if you had no rules and you can just always code your own custom language, you can always move faster. And that's true also with Starkware. They got to uh, have a generalized ZK rollup eight months before us. So it was a, an attempt to get to first to market. But it, it, time has shown that when you create a custom language that only one company uses, that developers just will not adopt it. Now, it's interesting you asked, is there, is there an advantage to not being EVM compatible? Which is a slightly different question because what if you're EVM compatible plus plus? Like what if you can be EVM compatible and then add new things to it while using common languages? So that's like the, like the mixture that's like really an interesting way of looking at it. So Starkware will always have this custom language, which will always create friction amongst developers. But we asked ourselves back when we started working on this, well, Solidity is one language that everybody uses, but everybody uses Java and Python and C++. What if we, when we launch, could announce that we also support those languages too? And so we have been, in a very principled way, making sure that we are EVM compatible. But we've added a component into our technology called an LLVM compiler. And it doesn't really matter what that, that exactly is. But what it does is it enables people to write smart contracts in any of the most common languages. And that's super powerful. It goes beyond EVM. And then we also add features to Ethereum's virtual machine. So for example, uh, there's, there's a feature set that is very much in demand called account abstraction. And basically what that does is make wallets much, much more powerful. And Ethereum doesn't support it. But when we launch, we're announcing that we, we do support account abstraction. And you'll see that come, come to the table through the first wallet that's going to be implementing this is a wallet called Argent. Uh, so that's one to watch out for. So I think the key is always be EVM compatible. You are free to add new technology and new capabilities, 
but you must do it in languages that are common and not custom languages. Those are our three principles as we uh, work to advance the field. I'll just quickly respond, not necessarily have a question to ask, but I think two things that I would add is that while StarCnet is not EVM compatible, they also will have the compiler. So just like you guys will have the compiler for other languages, they will have the compiler from Solidity to Cairo. So, I mean, yes, it's not as simple as, as just porting everything. There will be some time, but I think seven months, probably not like the, mo the most accurate, in, in, at least in my experience, seeing StarCnet teams. And the second thing I would challenge a bit is that, you know, you said that it's difficult, obviously, to get developers when you have a new smart contract language, new ecosystem. I think that's totally right. It is more difficult. Uh, I, I do think that sometimes it leads to projects initially that are a little bit of higher quality, at least initially, uh, not accounting for those that get ported, mainly because as we've seen on like Binance Smart Chain, Avalanche, sometimes a lot of the EVM stuff just gets ported and there's a lot of scams, a lot of issues with those projects because they just fork it to that code. But we've seen some success on chains that have gone in their own direction, right? Like Solana is one example. Yes, it's written on Rust, but Rust smart contract is quite different from just Rust alone. And while it did take longer, they did build a pretty vibrant ecosystem, especially on the NFT side of things. So just to, those two things I would add a bit to and, and challenge a bit. Uh, but obviously, I agree that it is much more difficult to build an ecosystem on a completely new smart contract language. But there are some things that, for example, the Starkware team is working on. Yeah, I, and I heard you, I, I didn't quite hear you said you challenged uh, me a little bit on something around seven months, but I didn't, I didn't quite catch what you were saying there. Oh, just that, you know, when, when you have new applications, it would take roughly seven months to, to build them. I, I think that's right for like the more complex ones, but with the comp compiler going from Solidity to Cairo for like some just simple applications, I don't think it's that difficult, at least from what I've heard from talking to some some teams developing on StarkNet. Uh, I think what I've mostly heard is something like three or four months. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it could be harder for like more complex applications for sure. Oh, oh, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So for big for big projects, it, it's basically we just completed a big project where we talked with them and asked them how long it took them to, to port to Starkware. And they, they said seven months and it was it was a big one. Um, but for us, it was like seven days to port to us. And I think that it is sort of like an order of magnitude differential in porting to Starkware versus porting to ZK Sync. But I think the bigger, even the bigger issue, even than that, is that developers are just very, very uncomfortable committing their careers to a language that's only used by one company. I've been involved in, in running uh, two very large open source uh, projects. I, I was involved in the funding and sat on the board of Node.js, uh, which is one of the largest open source projects in the world. And I funded and sat on the board of jQuery, which is the largest open source project in the world. And I deeply, deeply uh, feel and, and understand how developers want to use common languages as opposed to one-off languages. I think that's sort of a not going away type of problem. And when, when you talk about a compiler from Solidity to Cairo, my understanding is that's a transpiler, uh, which is a little bit different, but uh, it's that's sort of like the common way of dealing with things like that. And from a developer standpoint, that's, we would just say that's a bit janky. It's not a clean and elegant solution. Uh, so I think that's just going to be a continuing point of friction with developers. 
because they do want to work with elegant solutions when they're when they're building their code and, and working on their daily activities. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022. There are a total of $1.2 million in prizes up for grabs in Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. So what are you waiting for? Join Tron for an opportunity to showcase your work, win funding for your project, and network with other builders in the community. Tron Grand Hackathon, presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondow.org. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. I also wanted to follow up. You said you kind of gave your five points on uh, the key elements. Mm -hmm. And one of them obviously was decentralization. Um, and I'm kind of no means a ZK expert. But one of my biggest questions has always been around how do you maintain decentralization when you're doing something that ultimately, in terms of with blockchains, you can have thousands of people running a node. But when it comes to to processing such high quantities of transactions, you end up with, I believe, like a sequencer um, that kind of brings them all together. And what's your plan for stopping this from becoming like a centralized point of failure? Like how many sequences are there? Are they going to be centralized, decentralized? Basically, how do you enforce that decentralization when you're doing something this technologically complex? Yeah, um, so when any given layer two protocol launches, it starts off being fully centralized when you start, and then you implement decentralization of the technology over time. For us, there is, in our layer two solution, it's really decentralizing two things. It's a, it's a thing called a sequencer, which orders the transactions, and a thing called the prover, which is the zero-knowledge prover, um, which is our sort of our secret sauce, if you will. We have already begun work on that decentralization of those two technologies. And in short, at, at a high level, it's not very different than decentralizing any, any of the other types of technologies in layer two. All of the layer two rollups will be decentralizing in somewhat of a similar manner. But the goals are always the same, is to make sure that you are not compromising decentralization as, as you roll out your technology. You know, getting into the nitty gritty of how we do that technically, 
would be a very, very, very long uh, podcast, but uh, it will be something that we decentralize and make sure that we have validators that secure the network. And in the same way that Ethereum is making sure that they have many, many validators and they don't have a centralized validator problem, we will be going through the same attempts and learning from Ethereum and applying those things that, that are shown as broad consensus, that the right way of doing decentralization. And you said about ZK Sync going to launch in, in 30 days time. What can we expect to see at that point? Like, are there going to be projects going live when it launches? Yeah. How many projects <laughs> do you ex- expect to see kind of over, over the first three to six months? Like, what should we expect? Yeah, I think that because we are going to be the first one with those five magic ingredients, the amount of projects that have requested to port to us has ranged from people who were on alternative layer one solutions, people who were on Ethereum, people who were on optimistic rollups, people who were on like Polygon sidechain. And then a lot of projects from Starkware are coming to us and saying, can we port? We are seeing just a fire hose come at us of how many projects want to launch. So what we're doing is making sure that we scale really, really wisely. So what we'll see at first is just, you know, on the day of launch to mainnet, it's, it's us kicking the tires and making sure everything works. And then over a period, it'll take us probably nine months uh, to bring on everybody that's looking to port because we want to make sure we don't just bring on everybody at once and then we have scaling issues. So a lot of other companies have gone through this as well. When the optimistic method first came out, that was that at that time also by far the best scaling solution. And we've learned a lot from how Arbitrum and Optimism scaled up their operations because when they launched, everybody wanted to port to them too. So there's a, there's a process called fair launch, which Arbitrum uh, really pushed that ball down the road and we learned a lot from that. And we're using the lessons learned from their fair launch and we're applying that to our own fair launch. And basically that means we're onboarding people as fast as we can in a way that never compromises security and never compromises any risk to creating anything that could be hackable or dangerous for the community. Yeah, okay. And then let's say you're right about ZK Sync, that it hits all the five buttons, that it it gets, let, let's say, soaked up all the market share for this kind of thing. It would have a very huge impact on, on a lot of Ethereum projects. Mm-hmm. And then what we've seen recently with in terms of the CFTC uh, and what they kind of want to do with DAOs, yeah. if ZK Sync, you said decentralization was a, obviously a big part of it, and I've seen that in your blog post, et cetera. If you end up moving to like a, a DAO-like structure that could potentially have control over something that affects, could be you know the majority of Ethereum projects, like are you concerned about the the future of that if DAOs suddenly become especially under the kind of regulated crosshairs mm-hmm. or do you think it's the right approach and it's going to be fine or do you think there's a different approach yeah that is such a great question you know as i talk here i often will refer to things where like there is broad consensus you know there is broad consensus that zk rollups will be the scaling solution for ethereum There is broad consensus on how to decentralize your technology. There is broad consensus on how to do your tokenomics. I would say there is not yet broad consensus with DAOs. 
We study it every single day. We study how every single blockchain has attempted to do DAOs and decentralization. All of the L1s I study, all of the L2s I study. And I think our perspective is patience is our strategy when it comes to this sort of thing, because we have to find a way that works and works for everybody. And this is not an area that I think we have broad consensus on. But it is an area that, like, for example, I, I think a lot of folks perceive all of the layer two solution providers as competitors, as if they're regular companies competing with each other and they, they go after each other. But the actual reality is that we are just approaches to solving scaling Ethereum. We're all here for Ethereum at the end of the day. And like I have learned quite a bit from how Optimism decentralized and how they're thinking about DAOs and governance. And they really move the ball down the, the field quite a bit. And it's really going to require us all to work together to find a way through this. I kind of see optimism as the leader in governance right now. I am an absolute fanboy of how they are attempting to do this, but I also don't think they have it all solved yet. So as we go into decentralization of the organization and we think about governance and also how to manage uh, economics within it, I think we have a lot to learn. I think this, this road is not short it's very different than me saying, I think we, we have solved scaling for Ethereum. I've seen the code that does it. But DAOs, every time I talk to a person that runs a DAO, we actually happened to be in a meeting with a very large DAO when the announcement came out that you're speaking of. And just the chills that went down our spine, like, wow, we don't have this. This, this, is, uh, this is something that's going to be over the next year needed to be solved. I think it will be solved. We've gone through these types of things before where it seems like it's the it's the end of crypto because the you know governments are just simply seemingly against it. I have full faith that we'll make it through this, but it will be something that I think we all need to band together to try to come up with good ideas that make good resolutions for these problems. It it sounds like you're very skeptical there and that you don't see like a clear path forward. So does this mean we're not going to see a down launch in, in 30 days? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, there never was an intention to, but not as a result of any of these rulings. You, you can only have a DAO post uh, decentralization, and that's something that we'll be working towards. But when you launch on mainnet, you launch generally centralized. And that's not, that's not unique to us. That's just is how it has been done. So, so that's something that could be like in a, a year or, or longer down the, down the road if it happens, but you're also weighing up the different options. We generally don't try to give a date to something unless we have agreement inside of our project that uh, we have 90% assurance on the date. So wouldn't want to give a date, but it's something that we work on every day. And when we feel like we have it, that's when we'll launch it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you touched on kind of this, you know, winner takes all versus uh, collaborative uh, mentality. Do you think that if you guys do have the the ideal approach to scaling, which obviously is to be seen, do you think that most of the activity on layer twos would converge to that one chain? Or do you think that there could be, for example, like use case specific layer twos, like you could have one for gaming, you can have one for, I don't know, exchange off ramps, whatever it is. 
do you think that that would happen or do you think that if someone actually figures out that the best way to scale and not saying no VZK sync, but if it is, do you think that the activity actually converges to that one layer two? Yeah, there will be many blockchains is the answer, but let me show you how I get there. So there is layer one, which is Ethereum. There's layer two, which scales Ethereum, but it's one size fits all. And then there will be layer three. And that is where you can have customizable, what are called fractal blockchains. But get rid of the word fractal. It's just customizable blockchains. Now, what's interesting in layer three is that normally when you talk from one blockchain to another blockchain, you have what's called a non-native bridge. And that's where we hear about all the hacks occurring. So why is ZK the end game for scaling Ethereum? The answer actually occurs not in layer two, because that's a foundational layer. That's a, I don't want to say bedrock layer, because that's a word that optimism uses, but it's a foundational layer. It's layer three that's really the reasoning, because you can scale up by many 10x moments inside of layer three, but we have found a way to make the bridges between blockchains in layer three to be native. And that's huge because that's a 10x moment for security. And that's because of the way our prover works. So if all the blockchains in layer three are proved by one prover technology, then they all share what's called a circuit. And as long as you're on that circuit, then all bridges are native. So my answer to your question would be, it's a winner-take-all for the circuit. We want our circuit and our prover to become the standard amongst scaling. But once everyone is using our prover, then bridging between blockchains can be native. So let me give you an example. Imagine there's an L1 that isn't Ethereum, but wants a stronger connection to Ethereum. They can now join us in layer three as what's called a validium, and when they do, their bridge to Ethereum becomes native. Further, let's say we convince Optimism, Arbitrum, Polygon, Starkware, use our prover as a standard. If that becomes true and we all share the same circuits, then all bridging between all layer twos suddenly becomes native. Those are the types of things that can be possible if we work together. When we have different provers and we have different technologies like optimistic versus ZK proofs, that's when bridging is non-native. But if we can work to make our technology where we have solved scaling with ZK technology and we have everybody adopting our prover, then we have a much, much more secure world up in layer three. And that is, I'm trying to get better and better and better at describing that future but it's a, it's, we call those blockchains up in layer three hyperchains because we're trying to give them a, a unique name that describes the property that they are sharing one circuit. And I know Polygon and Cosmos say internet of blockchains. I think we'll figure out that what it really is, is an internet of hyperchains with one circuit to rule them all, if you will. And we think it would be a very, very big deal if we got to consensus that ZK Sync's method of doing a ZK rollup and doing layer three is the consensus, the correct way of doing things. We are not there now, right? There is also Polygon's way, there is Scroll's way. 
as we go forward into the Ethereum ecosystem, driving towards consensus around one method, one circuit benefits us all. And um, for our listeners, can you break down and explain what layer three is? And will there be layer fours? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Ben, one of the founders at Optimus and I often talk about this, or not often, we just talked about it on a panel yesterday. None of us agree layer three is a good name in the same way that none of us agreed layer two is a good name. These are just technologies and things that integrate with each other. But what layer three is, is think of layer two as one blockchain size fits them all. It, it scales Ethereum by, by anywhere from 10 to 100x. It reduces gas fees by anywhere from 10 to 100x. When you get up into layer three, I would say it's a star field of 10x moments is kind of the way I look at it. So 10x moments are important for mass adoption. When you have these 10x moments, that's when you start seeing mass adoption occur. Let's go back and give a good example of this. 1995 internet. Average internet speed, it was around 10 kilobits. How many websites do you think we had back in 95? 25,000. And then over the course of about 10 years, we saw basically four big areas of 10x moments on the internet. The internet got faster, it got cheaper to build things, it got easier to build things, and people started trusting the internet. Back in 1995, nobody trusted the internet. They thought everybody on it was a criminal and trying to steal your credit cards. And that if you remember the days where everybody said the internet's just a fad, there's no real use cases for the internet. The exact same words are being said about blockchain. So I'd say in terms of mass adoption, we're right at that 1996 moments. Nobody trusts us. People are saying there's no use cases. There's, there's relatively few dApps that are on the blockchain in comparison to what I think it will be. Layer three is where all those 10x moments are going to happen. So think of the four different categories. So speed, we're going to see transactions per second go from maybe 150 TPS to 150,000 TPS and beyond up in layer three. We are going to see gas fees go down by several 10x uh, factors up in layer three. In terms of ease of use and, and composability that enables more use cases. So you were talking about, is there ways to create custom blockchains for like DeFi and gaming and all of the current use cases? So one of the beauties up in layer three is you can customize your blockchain to whatever you want it to be. And so there's several ways you can customize it. Number one, you could make it a pure ZK rollup. That's what you would do if you're a DeFi company and you want to make sure you have the highest level of security because you want to inherit Ethereum's security. But you could also split the data between Ethereum and a slightly less secure off-chain blockchain so you can get more throughput. This would be useful for like a gaming company that wants its financial traction stored on Ethereum. But say the fact that the sword of Elrond is green for my character, that can be stored on a less secure uh, blockchain. And then you have what's called a validium where everything is off-chain, but you're still on the same ZK circuit. That's always important. You're still part of the circuit. And that's where you can get a million transactions per second in the future. That's where we'll see really, really, really high throughput. Then what the other thing that you can do up in layer three is we will let our ecosystem partners that are building on layer three, they can have their own token 
secure their blockchain instead of re relying on us. This is essential for companies like DYDX. It's one of the reasons why they left Starkware. They wanted to secure their own blockchain with their own token, and that's going to be available in Layer 3 ZK rollups, or in, at least in ours. And then a big topic, and this is another one where I don't think we have consensus on, and we may not have consensus quite for another 10 years, that's privacy. So we will, in Layer 3, enable blockchains to become private. And that's something that we all need to talk about privacy as much as we can over the next 10 years to solve all of the issues that are going to be necessary in the field of privacy. So think of all the 10x moments that are happening up there. Uh, and now add on top of that, that LLVM compiler that now lets you build your dApps in any language instead of just Solidity. So now you, you can do Monte Carlo analyses on blockchain and other things that you could never do before. And what will happen is very similar to the arc we saw on the internet. As these 10x moments occur, suddenly something will happen one day and we suddenly have trust in the system. We have costs that allow us to do use cases that we haven't even thought of before. So then we'll get to like 2005, 10 years later on the internet, We've had things like WordPress come along. We've had things like SSL and that little lock icon appeared up in our browser. We have things like Amazon come along that let us trust buying things on the internet. So 2005, back when I was founder of PowerSet, which became Microsoft Bing, search engine, average speeds on the internet then, one megabit per second. How many websites did we have in 2005? It wasn't 25,000. And this is where it blows people's minds away. It was 60 billion. So when we have these 10x moments, imagine when we, we can have a internet of fractal hyperchains and we don't even use the word bridging anymore because there are no bridges anymore. Everything is native. What happens to trust when all the hacks just don't exist anymore? There are no more hacks. We will have 60 billion projects on the blockchain. When we can trust it and it's cheap and it's fast and it's easy to use, imagine something like WordPress exists for the blockchain. That's amazing. That's the sort of stuff that, that is going to change things. And I can see a day when we open our browser and instead of seeing a lock icon in the top left of the URL, we don't see a lock icon, we see the Ethereum icon. That's the sort of stuff that happens up because of layer three, because layer three is that sort of star field of 10x moments. You just said a second ago that if you got to that point, you wouldn't see any more hacks. Like, how does that work? How, how, how would this? Well, you wouldn't see any more hacks because of bridges. Uh, I would never okay. say that all hacks in the world go away. It's, it's those, those bridge, you know, we won't have non-native bridges, hopefully, in the future. We just, that is just, it's literally just not, it's not a secure way of doing things. Uh, and we should just not have non-native bridges. Yeah, that makes sense. So for listeners who have been, you know, listening to you and not, are now bullish on how ZKSing is scaling Ethereum, what are some ways for those people to get involved? Like are there discords? What can they participate in? Where can they keep up with everything and, and actually somehow benefit uh, from this growth that uh, they now might think is coming? Yeah, uh, take note to follow our blog in particular because we are about to write 
a bunch of different, I wouldn't call them white papers, but I would, I would call them very longly written papers. And we are writing one that is going to be at a very, very high level. Uh, so if you're an investor in the space, um, or if you're in the DeFi community and you're saying, how is this going to affect me? We're going to be writing those, those sort of thought leadership style articles that describe exactly how this is going to impact everybody and what it means uh, for the ecosystem. We are also going to be issuing much more traditional technical white papers. So for those who are really, really interested in exactly how this all works, we're going to be uh, releasing that as well. And in terms of participating in a Discord, we certainly do have a Discord. That's very, very relevant for developer community. And then we will be doing a lot of AMAs on our Twitter through Twitter spaces. We're looking at doing them on Thursdays uh, where we can have an audience come on and we'll have a topic and a a generalized topic. Uh, So we might have an AMA, say, for the DeFi community. That way people can come on directly and ask me any question that they want. And the idea here is we are trying to, in the layer two space, we are really trying to get everyone to agree that marketing should be used for education. And we are really, really trying to adhere to that principle where our blog, our Twitter account, when we are out on the road speaking, we are really, first and foremost, really trying to help with education. So our Twitter account actually will be useful for those people that want to learn more because we see our Twitter account as an extension of of our ability to educate folks. As well, if anybody ever wants to ask me a question directly, I'm an open book. Uh, I'm at Steve Newcomb on on Twitter and my DMs are, are wide open. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Once again, we have been joined today by our guest, Steve Newcomb, Chief Product Officer at Matter Labs. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this segment on the Ethereum Merge. For more on the Merge, check out parts one and two of this series. I'm Tim Copeland, editor at The Block. See you next time.